Hey everybody, welcome to Brain Over Belly. I am David Brown from Everest Surgical Institute and Idaho BMI. This podcast is all about solving the puzzle of obesity and the other diseases that are overwhelming our society and shortening our lives. It is high time for a new approach and better understanding of what is really going on. What we are witnessing isn't normal. I want to pivot in a new direction. Let's get started now by putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Thank you for joining us. For the video version of Brain Over Belly, visit our Idaho BMI channel on youtube.com. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Brown from Idaho Bariatric and Metabolic Institute and Everest Surgical Institute. This is Brain Over Belly. Uh, thank you for joining us. I have with me today Kate Armstrong. She is a nurse practitioner and she works with me uh, and us at Idaho BMI. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Good to have you here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why this area is interesting to you and why you chose to do this with your life? Oh, um, curveball there. Um, I love working with bariatric patients and in obesity medicine because the potential for resolution of chronic disease is totally unlike any other specialty that I was exposed to in nursing school at all. It was always, okay, here's another medication. Um, keep trying, lose weight. It'll be, it'll be fine. And there was just no, no improvement. And so to be able to give people the opportunity to fix their health is amazing. Has it been what you expected? And more. And more. Good job. All right. Well, uh, today we have a very important topic. And to lead into it, I will just tell you that, yes, my life is fairly consumed with figuring out reverse engineering, obesity, diabetes, and the other metabolic diseases, figuring out how to reverse these in as many people as possible. But a few years ago, about three years ago, woke up in the middle of the night with almost a panicky feeling and realization that I hadn't done much as far as prevention. And I just felt deeply that at some point we need to spend time on preventing these diseases. So that is the topic for today is preventing obesity, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, um, why it seems so difficult, what's happening with obesity rates, why that's happening. And really this podcast is directed towards parents uh, because prevention has to happen, not in adulthood, not in adolescence. It has to start in infancy, even during pregnancy and for young women before they ever become pregnant. It's a, it's a long, um, there's a lot that goes into really preventing this disease. And so while we carry on and do our very best to help people reverse these diseases, this podcast is how do we prevent it? As you mentioned, there's a lot of pieces that go, or that go into prevention and, and we'll try and do justice to as many of those as we feel like we can make a difference on. But um, why does that matter in kids? Why does obesity in kids matter when you know, there's a kid with a little extra weight and he's going to run it off? Or, um, you know, my kid is eating that 
snack food and his weight is fine. So why does this topic, meaning obesity, why does it matter in children? Why does it matter in children? Well, currently 20% of children are obese, um, but 30% are overweight. And we know where that goes as they age. It can, that trend continues and they develop diabetes and these other metabolic uh, diseases. Why does it matter? Ultimately, we might as well ask, what value do our children have? Is that overstating it? No, it, it, it definitely plays into it. And it's not that you know, their, their weight has anything to do with our value, but we just want them to be able to, to live up to their potential there. Potential, like that word. So uh, obesity shortens life by six to nine years. So in that sense, if I want my children to live longer, then I'm interested in this topic. Uh, you can look at cognitive function, intelligence, um, it's a sensitive topic, but obesity, we've talked about this at length on this podcast, that the brains of people who struggle with weight and obesity, they, are dis they have distinct and consistent differences. And so, along with those differences in anatomy, you might say, um, there are differences in cognitive function. And maybe it's most helpful to think about... You know, they say, don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to yourself. And maybe what that means is me, if, uh, if I was obese, then my brain would be a little different maybe in anatomy and I would struggle from a cognitive perspective more than I do now. So to answer the, your question, why does this matter in children? One, children are being affected enormously by these diseases and it's ultimately you fast forward it's going to result in shorter lifetimes or shorter lives for these kids a lower level of functioning more time more money spent in managing diseases more pain and suffering for them sure is that good enough i think it sounds good um, so what's your concept of why the obesity rate in the United States is climbing? Uh, this is so frustrating. Um, it's climbing dramatically, and it really started uh, late 70s by 1980. So there are many factors. We know this. Um, and recently there was an interview, and we'll do a podcast on this interview. It was on 60 Minutes. A physician from Harvard, Mass General Hospital. She's uh, one of the committee members on the National Dietary Guidelines Committee appointed by President Biden. Uh, she stated that obesity is a genetic disease. I agree. Genes play a role to her credit. She also said obesity is a brain disease. Totally agree. But what she did say is that diet is a minor factor. Um, I totally disagree. And to, to support my position, you look at the rate of obesity. And for example, the rate of obesity in children. Over the last 40 years, uh, it has increased almost exponentially. So 
it's hard to make the argument that, hey, this this change in the rate of obesity, it's skyrocketing. Right now, 67% of American adults are either overweight or obese. That is such a deviation from historical norms. It's, it is a disaster. Right. It doesn't just follow the lines of genetics where obesity, obese children come from obese parents. Right. There are, and I think ultimately we can assume the genes of Americans have not changed over the last 40 years. In other words, if, if genes are the biggest cause of obesity and we've seen such a huge increase in the rate of obesity, it, it really begs the question, wait a minute, we're missing something. It's not just genetics and DNA. There's other stuff in our environment. There's a really long answer to your question. I would tell you it's the food. It's modern food. The food that we are eating has changed quite dramatically, and that is the primary cause for the trend in obesity prevalence. Sure. Very well put. Uh, you mentioned, was it Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford um, and her role on the 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans Committee? Um, and we had done some discussion here a minute ago about the interplay between industry, pharmaceuticals, government. Do you care to recap that? Yeah. So by nature, I'm an optimist. Um, I am. I'm very much an optimist, but I also want to be a realist. And I will say the cards are stacked against children and parents in this area. Uh, we live in an environment where it is so difficult to resist the influences in our culture that really are driving these problems in our children. What did you ask me? <laughs> um, so Dr. Cody Stanford, who is on that the 60 Minutes piece, um, she has a relationship with um, Nova Nordisk um, that produces oh. some glutide. Yeah. So there's been a change in our food source over the last 40 years. The foods we eat have changed dramatically. They're more processed. They're engineered. There's no question about that. But along the same period of time, we've had dietary guidelines. We really didn't have that before. And so the question is, who controls those guidelines? They are directing what doctors recommend, what dietitians, what culture is saying about what is healthy. And so I would argue, look, those guidelines are very problematic. Um, and the way it's structured, the first Dietary Guidelines for Americans was published in 1980, uh, came uh, in this Senate uh, committee, uh, Senator McGovern. A committee was formed to figure out solutions for malnutrition in the South. Mm. And so that's why it started. And the first uh, recommendations and guidelines were published in 1980. And currently they are assessed and released or updated every five years. And there's a governmental committee that looks, in theory, looks at all the data, all the science, and updates these guidelines every five years. So on that committee um, are individuals and the truth is these individuals on that incredibly important committee have close ties to the pharmaceutical industry 
as well as uh, the processed food industry. And, you know, some statistics. Um, the Dietary Guidelines Committee for 2020, uh, there are 20 people on that committee. Over 10 of them, or over 50%, had more than 30 conflicts of interest with industry. Again, either processed food companies or the pharmaceutical industry. Um, more than 95% on that committee had conflicts of interest with the pharmaceutical industry and processed food industry. So, in other words, people who are making the guidelines, which the reality is those guidelines influence what your child is eating, 100%. Um, the people making those decisions and making those recommendations uh, receive money from those industries and those companies. And of course, goes without saying, those companies are interested in revenue generated from selling products. Sure. Not to mention the food subsidies, another governmental layer there as far as incentive to move certain volumes of certain products. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. You have a farm, sort of, right? Oh, kind of. But I'm, I you know, grew up in that agricultural community, both ranching and farming on different sides. Yeah, I'm always empathetic with farmers and with that life. I grew up raising alfalfa with my family. Uh, so I get it, but the reality is, yeah, the United States government subsidizes certain crops in America. Chief among them are corn. Um, we think, okay, corn on the cob, yes, but high fructose corn syrup, uh, soy, wheat, rice, sugar. The government gives billions of dollars to these agricultural interests. Um, and that influences what children eat in schools very directly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned schools. That's something that concerns me a lot as a parent is what my kids are being fed while they're at school and um, not just my own children, but all the other children as well that are around them, that it, it, it's a nationwide problem. You look at the um, menus that are supposedly dietarily balanced and it's very, very heavy towards processed foods, very minimal towards protein, a lot of sugar, a lot of white flour, a lot of juice is horrifying. The tomato paste on pizza is considered a vegetable, as I understand it, in that system. Yes, my generation knows that pizza is a vegetable. Like, let's get, <laughs> let's strain those definitions as much as possible. Um, a couple years ago, I had a, we, I think this was before you joined us. I had a patient, a bariatric patient, who was the lead, the leader of the nutrition program in a school district, and. Uh, Met with her a couple of times, and she came back at some point several months later, very discouraged, and she said that she wanted to make some changes in that school district in the, the nutrition program, and she got tons of resistance, and ultimately what she found out is that the way it works is that school district spends money to buy the food, and they're reimbursed by government agencies. And what she found out is that that school district had to purchase specific foods or within categories, subcategories, in order to be reimbursed. So if she wanted to 
go in a different direction and really focus on whole foods, whole unprocessed foods, her school district would not be reimbursed for those expenditures. And I don't want to overstate it, but it was, it was a pretty glaring realization that it's fixed, that those schools have to feed the kids processed foods. And, you know, there's been a lot of research on this. The processed food industry is behind that. They, they have lobbyists and they understand how to have influence. Right. So maybe the government dietary guidelines are not the place that we should look for uh, what to feed our children. How about the state of medicine and kind of the, the dietitians and current um, medical knowledge? You would think, you would hope. Um, truth is, doctors, physicians um, aren't taught a lot about food, nutrition in medical school. You hear that? And it's really true. I've been through it. I don't remember anything. And we have medical students all the time. I think you ask yeah. every single one, what, what have you learned about nutrition so far? And it's so vague. It's a lot of kind of everything in moderation or these are the different maybe diets people would follow, but not how to stay healthy. Yeah, just sort of blank stares. And I'm not criticizing them, but I'm interested in knowing, hey, has anything changed? What are you, what are you being taught? And then, oh, not much. I, not a lot about food and nutrition. So one, I would question the expectation that doctors know a ton about food and nutrition. I mean, I, I believe they should. But I don't think they do generally. Um, and dietitians, we have a dietitian. She's awesome. But you have to look at the education. And in, in my opinion, um, that education is lacking or is even slanted and biased towards... Um, those dietary guidelines. Is that safe to say? I would agree. I would agree. I think a lot of what I've seen as far as um, dietitians presenting themselves on social media and from what I've heard from our dietitians classmates, it's very much towards the, it's okay to have processed foods in your diet and eat what you feel like. Otherwise we're going to have, you know, mental health implications from denying ourselves. Right. And, you know, and Chanel, she's our dietitian here. She's been on the podcast some time ago. I asked her, so if you had to choose one principle that was maybe the most emphasized or stressed in your education, your nutrition education, what would it be? And she thought about it for a minute. And she said, body positivity. Hmm. I think you were there. You heard her say that? No? Yeah. No, I, th I heard her say that. She's mentioned it a couple times. And I understand where that's coming from. I think it's good. I think... Every individual, every human being has infinite value, infinite potential. And yes, we want to accept ourselves and have appropriate self-love and self-acceptance. But we don't want to mislead people in suggesting that it doesn't matter and that they can achieve just as much in life or they can have the same lives either in quality health or length of life when they eat things that's going that are going to shorten their lives i think it's pretty accurate i can go with that i don't think that's overstating it no, i think that's good so the bottom line is i i think the problem is massive 
It's enormously important, and I do not feel like it's being dealt with almost at all. I, I don't think that's an understatement at all. It just feels like it's snowballing. It's getting worse, and who do we even look to at that point? Exactly. Maybe that's the point of this podcast is directed towards parents. Look, there are wonderful people everywhere, people with good intentions, people who want to make the world a better place. But um, I would suggest we cannot lean on or trust organizations, whether they be government, industry, even medical community near and dear to my heart. We can't rely on them to lead us out of this problem. I, I think it's been long enough and it's been clearly enough demonstrated that we got to think for ourselves and parents have to have more information in order to prevent, truly prevent obesity, diabetes, etc. Well, let's get to it then, I guess. What are the, what are the factors that we want to talk about as far as what's causing, causing the issue of obesity in children? What are, yeah, what are the different factors food again it's it's food the food is different how is it different um today's foods are engineered and processed and again those it's worth repeating the fact that in the 1980s big tobacco bought big food philip morris rj reynolds bought some of the biggest food companies um general foods nestle a lot of them and i think it's quite clear that those interests, huge, powerful, deep-pocketed interests brought with them, um, their engineering, their resources, and same motivations and interests just moved into a bigger and different industry. Every step of processing of foods that we consume, every step involves altering the food in a way that theoretically is going to bring a person back to consume that food. Again, people talk a lot about addiction. It's part of it. It's bigger than that, I think. Um, so you think about it, these incredibly intelligent, well-funded engineers, chemical engineers, food science engineers, want to alter resources, the, the food, in a way that's going to bring people back. They, they're, they're creating a food, not a nutritional product. Right, It's not designed to meet a nutritional need. It's designed to sell. It's not even a food, really. So uh, it's primarily directed at the brain. Different okay. centers in the brain, we know it. Um, it's sort of, in a way, detaching the brain from the signaling mechanism, signaling system in the gut. You think of the brain as a supercomputer where all those master controls are, controls for weight, Appetite, metabolism, cravings, blood glucose, hunger pains, all of it. Um, any computer requires input. And the primary input into that supercomputer, our brain, really should be coming from the gut, from the intestinal tract. These foods essentially are engineered to suppress activity in some places in the brain and increase activity in others. For example, pleasure centers. Um... You ask somebody, what do you eat when you're stressed out or when you stress eat or emotionally? Well, it's, it's always foods that are lighting up certain parts of the brain. Sure. And those foods just also happen to diminish the pathway of information messaging between the gut and the brain. 
So ultimately, when children are vulnerable and young, their brains are developing, their brains are being influenced and altered quite dramatically by these processed foods. And it's not the, that we're just rewriting someone's neurology in the short term. It's those things have implications, anatomical implications, implications with habits that'll continue to reinforce those pathways right. for the rest of their lives. And very often you don't see the impact on the brain until later in adulthood. So some kids are going to be pretty lean, normal weight, look, you know, normal that way. And it's not until later in life, ad after adolescence, where they start gaining the weight. And it has to do with the process of maturation of the brain. Certain centers of the brain mature before others. And so some of the, the consequences of these foods, you're just not going to see the result in weight gain until after adolescence, which is usually 20 to 22 I hadn't thought about that one before. We know we've talked extensively about kind of the neurology all underlying all of it, but I hadn't thought of the maturation and the timeline of it. It was playing yeah, into it so much. Trojan yeah. horse. It's a Trojan horse in the children's brains. And on the topic is development of that system of communication between the brain and the GI tract, primarily through the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve delivers that information from the gut to the brain. And it's in late gestation and in the first six months of life where very, very important networks develop that really are controlling weight, appetite, all those things, metabolism, inflammation. And so it becomes crucial for, I want to just pick on women, but mothers, um, what they're eating is going to influence their children for a long time. Sure. Even before, you know, weight's an issue. Very little babies. We still got to be careful. Right. A mother, a pregnant woman eating processed food, meaning hyper palatable, that mix of refined sugars and vegetable oils that just oh, tastes so good. You're changing the nervous system of your baby. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure because that's the kind of the carte blanche period of a, a woman's life, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to have weight gain for a healthy pregnancy, right? Or you're, you know, the, the old adage, you're eating for two. Right. Ugh. Well, and you can even take it further. You look at vitamin D deficiency, which is so common, I would argue. It's so common because... If, Foods we've been eating for about 40 years. We were told for so long that fat is bad. We ate low-fat diets, low-fat foods. Well, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, so it makes sense that 70% of Americans are low in vitamin D. But you look at a teenage girl who's low in vitamin D, that deficiency in adolescence has an influence, has an effect on subsequent pregnancies in children Five years, 10 years down the road. Really? Yeah. So the idea that if we really want to prevent childhood obesity or just prevent obesity in general and diabetes, it starts early. Oh. And it's not like we can go back in time, but it's, you know, knowledge is power. We'll just keep making the best choices we can. Right. And, you know, I have four daughters. I look back at what we fed them and I didn't... You know, this is in college and medical school and residency. Um, 
yeah, we, fishy crackers and fruit roll. Uh, what do you call it? Fruit. Fruit by the foot. Fruit by the foot. It's fruit. There's nothing in there that's. Oh, I don't think fruit's on the ingredients label. Um, it's just so easy. It's available, and these food companies know very well. They have researched psychology of mothers, actually, and women, and they know, and it's very understandable. It's uh, it's tough when there's an easier option, a more convenient option. It's so tough not to take it. Right? It says fruit right on the box. must be fine. All right. must be good. Yeah. Other things that have kind of led people down the wrong road, I think, obesity-wise, right? The, the processed food, huge, huge, huge part of it. I mean, genetics plays into it. Um, sleep. Yes. In, insufficient sleep and not Good. consistent timing on it. Get your kids in bed early. I know. That's what I keep telling them. We, we did a lot of things imperfectly, to be generous. That was one thing we did pretty well, is getting our kids into bed early and pretty consistently. Incredibly important. Uh, screen time doesn't yep. just it's not just the fact that um, you know greater than two hours a day of screen time is associated with increased rates of obesity in children but also the marketing of foods mm. that happens during that screen time and what happens if kids eat when they're watching their screens what does happen what does happen they're not forming memories of their eating they're, they're they'll eat more um, they're not eating in a mindful way, and it's not related to meeting a, a hunger or nutritional need. It's mindless. Right. Very much promoting that process of altering brain mapping, brain circuitry, and in a way that's very unfavorable. And interesting to know, the average American two-year-old has very significantly established brand loyalties with foods. You look at what how they market to children, just like they did cigarettes. Uh, how do they market the, the animals and animation and it's exciting and it's, it's entertaining and yeah, they know what they're doing. It's like every processed food has its own Joe camel. Ex right. Yep. Act Colors. So we talked a little bit about why obesity in kids matters and how that has forward implications with um, health, with other diseases, with neurological development, and kind of playing into the, the neurological development um, concept. There's also changes in or you know adverse effects of mental health as a result of obesity in children. Agreed. There's more and more evidence that... Um, Mental health disorders are metabolic disorders. Mm -hmm. Depression, anxiety, bipolar. Um, they are, to some degree, a result of inflammation in the brain, which, again, primarily is driven by foods, uh, what children are eating. And so, yeah, the rates of anxiety and depression in adolescents have literally skyrocketed. And it's been since, I think, 2011 or 12. Uh, suicide rates gone way up. And we don't normally think about food and these problems, these disorders, but they're, they really are directly related. And I think those issues, those problems need to be mentioned when we're talking about food and children and adolescents and health. So why does this whole topic matter? Why does prevention matter? 
with children, well, here's another huge reason. So what do parents do? Parents who have a six-month-old baby or a six-year-old baby, what do they do, Kate? We don't feed them processed foods. Uh, you can't do anything about genetics, really. Um, so it's a matter of having the courage to walk your own path with your children. And it would be convenient for us to say, oh, just don't eat, don't uh, feed your children any processed foods. Wouldn't that be great? If only it were that easy. I would say just do your best to minimize sure. anything that is processed. The traditional thinking is that snacking is good. Really, you... You look at those guidelines and tradition, and it's three meals a day with snacks in between. I still hear that from the medical community. And you look at what the snacks are. It's like we're eating dessert six times a day. So if you're going to give your kids snacks, um, what do you feed your kids for snacks, Kate? Well, not that everyone gets to base their... Uh kids diet off of mine but if my kids say they're hungry it's going to be some healthy options it's some usually it's a cheese stick you hungry did you drink water okay you can you can have a cheese stick it's not going to be something that they're going to go find in the pantry and dig around and get some little sweet thing that comes in a crinkly wrapper yeah i uh, i do know people who started i think the younger you start the easier it is maybe the less resistance mm -hmm. uh, if you start off and your children love spinach and broccoli and meat um whole milk if you're gonna drink milk i think um it's just it's easier it's harder to turn it around when they're six or nine or 16. it's harder but it's still worth doing i mean agreed it's we talked before about how we come across um people you know working on changing their own dietary intake to be you know more in line with something that's going to be healthy long term but then struggling with having to make multiple meals for their family because you know their kids are picky and all they want are the chicken nuggets and the macaroni and cheese it's, i'm not their kids healthcare provider and i can't really say well yeah but but truly if the logic follows the things that are bad for the adult are going to be bad for those kids too and land them right where their parents are at the moment i know several people and I don't want to come off of as judgmental. I get it. But I do know several families in which parents are really concerned, you know, they're 30s, 40s, and they, they want to be healthy. They don't want to struggle with weight. So they eat a certain way, what they consider healthy, and they'll feed their ki children something entirely different, very processed. Um, it's, it's less expensive a lot of times. Um, and it's a hard challenge, hard road to walk, but I guess the suggestion would be just have courage, do your very best, be smart, know, just know what the food industry, what they seek to do, really. They want to sell food. Yeah, exactly. It's like we mentioned before, it's marketing a, a product, not meeting a nutritional need, setting um, regular sleep hours, for sufficient sleep and consistent sleep hours is super important. Um, making sure that we're limiting screen time and not letting kids eat during screen time, super important.
Be aware of what your kids are eating at school. Yes, get involved. Right? So We need to do that. (laughs) No, at some point I'd love to have a role or at least make an effort to approach school districts, educators, um, just to bring this up and to fight the fight. And I would encourage parents, look, it requires a lot of courage, but I think it's worth it. The more parents who stand up and say, look, stop feeding our children these things in schools, the better off we'll be. So should we get more specific with what do you feed your kids? Me personally? Sure. I don't know. So I see it as, um, you know, if if kids are hungry in the morning, they're going to have, they have an egg. They have an egg every morning. Um, and if they want something else, they can have something afterwards. But um, from there, they go to water and the rest, you know, they have to take their water bottle to school every day. And we send them with a packed lunch because I've seen what's on the lunch menu. And you know, like what? Um, it's the it's the cheesy bread. It's the pizza. It's the juice boxes. It's I mean, like we like we talked about, it, there are people with good intentions and they're doing their best to meet, you know, the. To, to quell the hunger and, and supposedly meet a nutritional need, but it's it's based on, you know, that the guidance is based on some terrible dietary guidelines from years and years ago. Maybe one concrete takeaway from this, I would say, no fruit juices. Mm. There's this perception, I think it's changing, but this perception that, hey, it's fruit. Fruit juice must be good for you. Vitamin C, sunshine. No, it is sugar water. It's essentially the same thing as a fully sweetened soda. Um, so maybe you make that and your campaign, primary campaign, get rid of all calorie, you know, drinks and liquids that have calories and that have sugar in them. It's that's the most potent thing that we consume that damages metabolism is liquid sugar. Um, I would advocate. What do you feed kids? Meat, mm-hmm. eggs, the most nutrient-dense foods we have. Um, I would tell you that the narrative that meat is bad for human beings, for the health of human beings and the environment, I would counter that. It's, uh, I think the best science suggests otherwise. Uh, you want children with a healthy brain, you feed them animal products. Mm-hmm. There are certain amino acids you just can't get from tofu. Right. And the fats. There's just so much. There's been studies demonstrating that there are literally hundreds of naturally occurring nutrients in animal products that you can't find in any other source. You know, we think of fat, carbohydrates, protein, some vitamins and minerals, that type of thing. But there's a lot of other stuff. Um, that we just really never talk about. I would tell you, minimally processed animal products are the best foods for human beings to consume. Is that too bold? Not at all. I believe it. I think as the basis of a diet, yeah. But if we're talking, you know, healthy kids, vegetables, I think fruit is fine for kids. Right? Mm -hmm. Not juice, but... Unprocessed. Yeah, whole fruit. Totally fine, right? If they're going to eat starches, just make sure it's not processed starches. Right. Caveat. Well, this is why our 
grandparents, great-grandparents could have potatoes and corn and all of these starchy vegetables and other foods. Um, they really didn't have the exposure to these processed and engineered foods. With significant exposure to these modern engineered foods, uh, there's just a difference. Because of the effect of those engineered foods on the brain, nervous system, metabolism, even starchy vegetables can be the Achilles heel. So what I'm saying is that if a child is already overweight or obese or has these problems, mm -hmm. we even have to avoid starchy sure. vegetables. Or even has had significant exposure. Right, right. right. Well, parents love their children. And they want their best for them. Um, it, it's an interesting universal reality that a parent makes certain decisions in the interest of providing a life for their children that they didn't have. I think every generation approaches parenthood in that way. Um, parents love their kids. And this is a difficult topic. It's a challenging task. I would just encourage all the parents out there, all the future parents, really look at your own lives, your habits with food, and pivot in the ways that you can to avoid processed foods for adults, do some fasting, all the things that we talk about on this podcast. But anyway, it is my hope and my belief that ultimately truth will prevail. And at some point, we will reverse this trend, this trend of obesity and metabolic disease. It, it doesn't seem to be on the horizon currently, but that's my hope. Yes, until that tide turns, all we can do is just not allow the food and pharmaceutical industries to set the menu for our kids. Agreed. Well, thank you for joining us, Kate. We'll have you on again. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Brain Over Belly. This really is all about the potential of human beings uh, as individuals and collectively. It's human potential that we're most interested in. Thank you for joining us. 